0: Haiti's president, Jovenel Moïse, was assassinated on July 7, 2021, a little more than 2 weeks ago. Did you know that the killing of another Haitian president almost a century ago served as the pretext for America's military occupation of Haiti for almost 20 years? When I asked Dr. Faton for a one-liner about Haiti, as much as he hates one-liners, this is what he said: Let Haitians have their space to decide their own affairs. Hey there, news peelers. Today is July 23, 2021, and this is Adele, host of the History Behind News podcast. Once a week, I have the pleasure of speaking with distinguished professors and critically acclaimed authors from around the world who help us better understand our news and current events by providing some perspective from our past. We call this Peeling the History Behind News. The histories of many countries we read, watch, and hear about in our news media. For example, whole series on Ukraine's, Iran's, Russia's, and China's histories. And of course, several series on the U.S. economy, culture, politics, environment, science, and much more. I'm committed to making in-depth history that are research and written by scholars enjoyable and accessible to everyone. So grab a cup of coffee or your favorite drink and let's get into it. The news from Haiti is moving at a fast clip. The intensifying investigation of those responsible for the brutal murder of President Moise is leading to many arrests, including top officials. Haiti's former first lady has returned from Miami, where she was receiving medical treatment. A new prime minister was sworn in this week, and earlier reports this month highlighted gang violence, hunger, and anarchy. Amid all of this news, what demanded our attention the most for the purposes of this podcast episode was the following. Soon after the assassination of President Moise, in an effort to stabilize the country, Haiti's government requested help, From the Biden administration in the form of U.S. troops. President Biden, who at times has passionately defended his decision to leave Afghanistan, has declined Haiti's troop request. But assessing whether or not we should send American troops to Haiti misses an important point that Haiti's intellectuals, members of its civil society, and other Haitians strongly oppose U.S. military presence, or the presence of any other nation's military for that matter. In their country they believe that haiti's problems are their own to solve and they point out that prior interferences by foreign powers such as the united states have not brought peace and prosperity to their country in fact the opposite has been the outcome to better understand the history of haiti including repeated foreign interferences in its domestic affairs we spoke with dr robert faton jr He is a professor of government and foreign affairs in the Department of Politics at the University of Virginia. He is also a former chair of that department, as well as former associate dean of the graduate school there. In 2021, Dr. Fatton received the award for excellence of the Haitian Studies Association for his commitment and contribution to the emerging field of Haitian studies for close to a quarter of a century. He is the author of the following books on Haiti. Haiti's predatory republic: the unending transition to democracy, which was published in 2002. The roots of Haitian despotism, which was published in 2007. Haiti trapped in the outer periphery, published in 2014. And the guise of exceptionalism: unmasking the national narratives of Haiti and the United States, which was published earlier this year. A link to Dr. Fatton's academic homepage, which lists his many publications as provided in the detailed caption of this episode. So, stay with me as Dr. Fatton and I peel the history behind this news.
1: The History Behind News podcast is available on all your favorite podcast platforms. Of course, we love your reviews and ratings of our podcast, especially on Apple and Spotify. And remember, don't keep us to yourself. Tell a friend about the history behind News podcast.
0: Professor Faton, it is such a pleasure to have you on our show today. Thank you for taking the time for this conversation with me. As I was preparing for this conversation with you, I sort of I sort of had a snack. I got stuck in Haiti's revolution. I couldn't get past it. The more I read, the more I realized how big of a deal this revolution really is, not just in Haiti's history, but also in world history. And I'm not not exaggerating this point for the purpose of this this podcast episode. I mean, British, Spanish, French empires were fighting against this revolution and and they, they got defeated. Thomas Jefferson refused to recognize Haiti, and the whole issue of slavery got blown up into the open. So, frankly, I'm completely puzzled that we Americans know almost nothing about Haiti's revolution. So, if you don't mind, sir, let's, let's start with that, please.
2: Okay, well... To simplify things, because we don't have <laughs> you know, a whole day to talk about. <laughs> several uh, episodes, several episodes. Yeah. Go ahead. This is essentially a revolution that started in uh, 1790, 1791. Uh, initially, uh, the slaves revolved different cl- and, uh, and color skin, literally. Uh, but eventually, but you mean it wasn't just uh, black
0: uh, people? It was different colors. Yeah, seasons. it was.
2: It, it, I mean, if you look at uh, at myself, I'm Haitians, and we we had at that time, and we still have people of that color, the result of the mixing of different races, and we had that. The, the issue here is that you had a group of free. Uh, uh, colored, as they were called, individuals, very small group. And you had also a group of freed Black slaves. And one of the fascinating stories is clearly the story of Toussaint Louverture himself, who was one of the fundamental uh, forces, leaders behind the revolution. Toussaint Louverture was a slave. Then he was freed Then he became a slave owner, and then he fought against slavery. He was also a member of the French army. He became a general in the French army. The French at the time were the colonizing power. And Toussaint Louverture uh, led the fight against the French, but in 1801 wait that almost sounds like uh, general washington where he was a soldier
0: at some point an officer of the british army and later led the fight against the british in the american yeah, colonies Yeah,
2: similarities there and actually yeah. all of the major leaders of the haitian revolution were at one point key figures in the french army in haiti Interesting. so this is a, a very complicated thing but then Uh, After uh, the capture of Toussaint Louverture by Napoleon, and there we need to get into some French history, because 1789, the French Revolution uh, had reverberations also in Haiti. And uh, uh, in the 1790s, uh, people in Haiti wanted to abolish slavery already. but it, As
0: that, when you say people, sir, do you include even no- some
2: of the of the French envoys, because they were part of the revolutionary uh, French uh, export, if you wish. Uh, so but that was extremely complicated. And with the coming to power of Napoleon, uh, Napoleon reestablished slavery. And I thought
0: Napoleon originally, uh, did he originally abolish it, then reestablish it? Is that what happened or no?
2: No, no. It was was abolished by the French revolutionaries. And when Napoleon Napoleon. came back, he eventually abolished the decree that had abolished slavery. (laughs) Okay. 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 Got it. Go ahead. And prior to that, he was actually involved in discussions with Toussaint. And Toussaint used to call himself in French, du premier des noirs, which means from the first of the black. And he would uh, write to Napoleon saying, du premier des noirs au premier des blancs. In other words, uh, the first of the whites. So, the first of the blacks and the first of the yeah. whites. I see. Then he was, uh, well, the French then sent troops to Haiti. And uh, they seized Napoleon. I mean, they seize uh, Toussaint, Toussaint Louverture. He was jailed in uh, the, the fort of Jouve, which is in northern France, uh, eastern France, uh, in the mountains uh, next to a city called Besançon, and he died there as a result of that imprisonment of uh, Toussaint. Haitians, in particular, the major leaders decided that they couldn't trust the French, that they were bent on re-establishing, indeed, slavery in Haiti. So Dessalines was one of the fundamental figures, and actually the one who declared the independence of Haiti in 1804, joined forces with Pétion and Christophe, and they eventually defeated the French in a very famous uh, battle called La Bataille de Vertière. And uh, on uh, January 1st, 1804, uh, Dessalines declared the independence of Haley. Where The revolution is a very complicated process uh, insofar as it was a very violent revolution. The slaves had been totally exploited and they had uh, no sympathy whatsoever with the white French colonialists. And the violence was uh, uh, captured, if you wish, by a slogan in Creole, which means uh, uh, the Creole version is uh, coupe tête boulecaille. In other words, capitulation, Uh, decapitation. Decapitation. Yes, yes. And burn the houses. Now, in the context of Haiti, what the peasants really, I mean, the slaves really revolted against was the plantation the plantation economy, which was fundamental uh, to uh, the colonial wealth of France. In other words, sugarcane at that time was the main production uh, in uh, uh, Haiti. It was the basis to make sugar and to export it throughout the world. Uh, in the 70, Prior to the revolution, Haiti was the wealthiest colony of France and it exported the bulk of sugar throughout the world. So it was a critical place for production. But in order to produce that sugar, you needed the plantation, and the plantation system itself was based on slave labor.
0: What was uh, sugar predominantly used for back then? Was it involved in in rum production?
2: It it was involved in alcohol, but it was involved also. And there's a very fascinating book by an anthropologist by the name of Sidney Mintz. And it's about the significance of sugar for the British and actually uh, French working class. Uh, If sugar was something new, uh, we can't really imagine that but it yeah. literally was part of the kind of diet that uh, uh, working classes in industrializing europe were starting to get and it was kind of a some sort of you say elixir yeah and haiti was at the center of that also with coffee etc so but the key point is really the plantation. You could not at the time... The institution sugar, of plantation. Cut the, sugar, the sugar cane if you didn't have slave labor. It was not, quote-unquote, efficient otherwise. And this is a problem that Haitian leaders, once Haiti became independent, had to face. And the successive governments in Haiti, till about the, the 1840s, were trying desperately uh, to establish what they called the Code Rural, And that's essentially a rural code that would regulate labor. The goal was not to reestablish slavery, but to a large degree to establish some form of forced labor. And clearly, the slave, the former slaves were not going to put up with that. Uh, so this is another... Of course, they had
0: this revolution, now they're back at it again.
2: Exactly. They didn't want that. So they became a peasantry, in the sense that they exited, if you wish, the areas that the government really wanted to control, so, so they would have their own little plots.
0: You know, this is a very interesting point that you bring up. Uh, in the last uh, week or so, uh, I've had the pleasure of interacting with Haitians on... Social media uh, and so many of them clarified this point for me and many Americans that Haiti is not Port, Port-au-Prince. The Port-au-Prince, there's so the area outside of it, even to present day, in present day, is really different. Maybe less affected by uh, the the national government. Sort of the story that you're sharing with me right now.
2: Yes, uh, but but there's a twister there because. Uh, Twist. That time, I love twists. <laughs> yeah. And, and this is something that currently uh, Haitians don't like to talk about because there is a very deep authoritarian uh, legacy from 1804. On the one hand, it is that epic and victorious struggle for freedom and liberty for the abolition of slavery. But immediately after that was done,
0: I'm sorry, you after had, that was what?
2: Immediately, once Haiti became independent, you have the authoritarian aspect that also establishes itself.
0: That is you back.
2: Know, yeah. For, for instance, Dessalines declares himself an emperor, is uh, assassinated. Uh, Haiti is divided into three major regions. Oh, boy. Uh, so there are divisions within the revolutionary leaders that had to do with color, with uh, class, and also uh, had to do with who was going to be on top, uh, uh, a crude, if you wish, struggle for power. So you have that in Haiti. When Dessalines becomes emperor, the first his first speech to Haitians contains not only the idea that, that we've won the battle, that we abolished slavery, but he says very clearly, if you don't listen to me, Desaline, you are in deep trouble, because I am the man, as it were. Uh, so you have that authoritarian, almost messianic vision that uh, has animated Haitian leaders since the very beginning of the republic, and it but, hasn't changed.
0: What what you're sh- the, the anecdote that you're sharing about uh, Desaline's uh, speech is almost. Not almost. It's entirely opposite to what General Washington did. Right? He left. He left. Yeah. yeah he left. So well, that's why they call him. The, I mean,
2: he became the leader. But the, yeah, the, but he Saline was assassinated, and the constitution of the Saline in eighteen o four was one that gave him the right to pick his successor. Interesting. He, pick so, his so, so successor. You have that,
0: sorry. Pick his successor.
2: Pick his own successor. Uh, so. Dessalines had a very authoritarian power inscribed into the constitution itself. So on the one hand, you have that struggle for freedom. On the other hand, you have that kind of authoritarian uh, legacy of the revolution, which is also rooted in the revolution itself, because in order to defeat the French, we needed to have armies and uh, a a very clear chain of command and control And that was reproduced after Haiti became independent. Then you have also the distribution of land. Uh, The military, uh, who won, if you wish, were at the top of the revolutionary armies, got the bulk of the land. So you had immediately after that a class structure that was emerging. People who were the officers got the lion's share, if you want. Of the redistribution of land, so they uh, kind of became after. the new elite. Exactly, and this is something that has to be really studied. And Haitians don't like to study about that; don't like to talk about it because it it kind of uh, creates a, a different narrative. Because you really, what I'm trying to suggest is you have two fundamental driving forces: one for freedom, liberty, and the other that is deeply authoritarian. And the freedom narrative is also rooted in the struggle against slavery as such. Even when slavery was the dominant uh, mode of organizing the colonial order, you had, and you may have heard about that, marronage. That is to say, slaves moving into uh, the, the hills to uh, get some modicum of freedom. But in that movement, there was also negotiation with the colonial uh, people, I mean, the white colonialists, whereby they would uh, you know, have a, an agreement whereby they would be left alone if those who had been to some extent freed didn't mess up with, <laughs> oh, <so laughs> with the with it... plantations. Interesting. Uh, and the revolution reversed that you know, people just said enough of the whole damn thing and uh, the slaves revolted and gained their freedom. But the notion of marronage is very much part of Haitian uh, culture, politics, etc., in the sense that uh, Haitians don't particularly, and for good reasons, like the reach of the state. Because whenever the state reaches out, it has historically tended to be very exploitative and to a large degree has tended to tax and to exploit the very weakest groups in Haitian society. And for a long time, this has been obviously the peasantry. So you've had that that kind of struggle. And when you said that there was a poor Press and the rest of Haiti, uh, well, at the time, it was much more complicated because port au prince had not gained uh, the absolute primacy that it has now. Mm-hmm. The, the centralization of power in port au prince is actually uh, the legacy, if you wish, of the American occupation from 1915 to 1934. This is where power was centralized in port au prince where you had the creation oh, of a centralized army prior to that the uh, you know the the provinces uh were very much part of the power struggle you know at one point you had you know the the part uh, the, the the southern part which was for uh Pétion was one of the leaders then you had the northern part of Haiti which was for uh, Christophe and Dessalines taken uh, the western part uh, of the island so it was divided and they were very much uh so fascinating areas.
0: so au prince and prince did not have uh the outsized influence in haiti that it does today yeah uh, wonderful why don't we take a short break and then talk about what happened in haiti after the revolution and okay. its independence um The histories of the Caribbean nations are fascinating. They are volatile mixes of indigenous peoples, colonialism, slavery, foreign interference, and fading empires, revolutions, the rise of the United States and its occupations, communism, and various types of dictatorships. In our podcast, we've had the pleasure of speaking with several scholars about the history of women and NGOs in Haiti. The history of Cuba and its perpetual struggle for freedom, and also the history of Puerto Rico, a nation without its own country. The link to those conversations are provided in the detailed caption of this episode. Now, let's get back to our conversation with Dr. Faton. Professor Faton. After the 1804 revolution, Haiti went through decades of instability, both internally and internationally. In and of itself, that's not unique. France went through many revolutions and wars after its revolution that started in 1789. What I'm wondering is, how much more complicated was Haiti's post-independence challenges during the 19th century due to racism and race issues like at the time all the world empires were white right so what happens you have this black independent nation
2: yeah clearly this is one of the other major obstacle uh to the flourishing of Haitian society after independence Haiti becomes very quickly a pariah nation given the white supremacist structures of the time uh, and uh, the paradigmatic case is clearly the fact that, for instance, the United States did not recognize it as an independent nation till uh, Lincoln. Uh, so you have a very long period. The other very important... But Lincoln, element, you mean
0: till after our Civil War in America?
2: Just before the Civil War. I think was it was this? 1863, if I'm correct, but don't quote me on that. Oh, okay, that's... I have So is this because the
0: southern states in America didn't want oppose that? To a
2: large degree, that was the the influence of the southern states. Okay. And actually, there are letters between De Saline, Mm -hmm. uh, that is, I mean, he sent letters to uh, Thomas Jefferson saying that Haiti had established its independence; it was not going to export it to the southern of the united states and it was not going to support i mean uh, spread it throughout the caribbean that he shouldn't be afraid of that and that he wanted good relations with jefferson jefferson never answered that
0: <laughs> jefferson the guy that he ignored wrote about declaration of yeah, it, ignored <laughs> it
2: and, and it was a power nation on its own and oh, interesting. you know the, the thing is that uh, the southern uh uh White slave uh, owners were terrified about the Haitian Revolution. I mean, people did talk in the South about Haiti. It became some sort of uh, obsession, and it became… By people, you mean white Southerners or also uh, Africans? Southerners in particular were terrified about the Haitian Revolution because they thought it might lead to uh, the downfall of slavery. And that slaves might look at Haiti and say, oh, my goodness. We can do this uh, too. We can do it too in the southern part of the United States. So there was fear uh, of that in the southern part of the United States. And there was also, uh, and that was a minority group, but abolitionists who look at Haiti as the beacon of freedom. Uh, and that, those things have been underreported. It's way after uh, that period that Haiti is to to some extent ignored. But at the time of the revolution, it is absolutely clear uh, that Southern white slave owners were terrified of Haiti. And they wrote things. There were novels about Haiti saying that Haiti is going to bring barbarism to the South, etc. Et so the deep racism of the South in the United States expressed itself clearly against the uh, Haitian Revolution, which was a threat to some extent to uh, the uh, existence of a slave owning class.
0: So, did white Southerners in America, or, or, or let's say the British, Empire or the French Empire, or at that time, the Spanish Empire. Did they interfere with Haiti to thwart its independence or sort of to flip it back
2: to a colony? Yeah, Haiti was interestingly, you know, you had the United States and you had the British, and there was some conflict obviously between the two at the time. And Haiti ma- managed to keep uh, outside of that immediate power struggle. But And this is another uh, thing that you might have heard about, uh, is the French who, after their defeat in 1804, they come back and they want the Haitian government to pay the French. (laughs) This is is a crazy story, yeah. Because they want a a so-called indemnity for the victory of the Haitians and for the seizure on the part of the Haitian revolutionaries of the property of the slave owners. And there were negotiations uh, from 19, I mean, 1810, 1811, 1812, up till uh, 1825, when a new president, a fellow by the name of Boyer, came to the presidency of Haiti, and Boyer had reunited all of the different regions of Haiti. Haiti was now a unitary state, if you wish. And uh, the French sent uh, boats to the harbor of Paul Prince, and they told uh, Boyer that if he didn't pay the indemnity, which was a really huge sum of money, it was uh, 150 million French gold francs, which has been uh, calculated to be, if you were to to put it in current uh, terms, to something like 28 billion dollars. And actually, the the, the famous uh, French economist you may have heard of him, Thomas Piketty. Yes. Uh, as as argued that the french really should pay reparation to haiti for having <laughs> them pay 28 billion dollars to the french treasury uh, now, Professor historically... Fitton, if i may
0: interrupt you i have a i have a question that admittedly is a bit naive uh, haitians, haitians were able to gain their independence from france so they they did defeated france in a series of wars and as you uh, pointed out the sort of revolution took about a decade to finalize in the independence what did haiti not have the military power at that time to just say no to france go take a hike we're not going to make this payment these payments
2: yeah the, the military i mean haiti was a small country yeah and its resources were extremely limited and the, it would be it would have been extremely difficult to resist another massive french attack Uh, The French might have lost it again, but it would have destroyed uh, whatever was rebuilt in Haiti. But here there is another factor, which is of great significance, and which tends to be pushed aside, is that while the French asked for the indemnity, and actually Haiti accepted to pay that indemnity, the rulers, those at the very top of Haitian society, had to some extent, a vested interest in getting the full recognition of the French. And why would that be the case? Yeah, Because they were fearful that if they didn't get that independence, the French would get back and they would lose their own property and wealth. They would be returned, as it were, into a totally subordinate and uh, uh, propertyless group of people. So there was that fear. They wanted to be their own interest too.
0: Is it a case that, I think you answered this question in the last segment, some of the revolutionaries essentially after the revolution and in independence and throughout this period that you're sharing with me about negotiations for payment payments to France, some of the revolutionaries became oppressors? Am I saying this yeah, correctly? That's,
2: that, that's, that's very much the case. In terms of the vast majority of Haitians, uh, what you have throughout Haitian history is a very opportunistic convergence of interest between the small group of rulers in Haiti and the international community, in particular, imperial powers, the French then the Americans. Uh, It's not that they necessarily like each other, but their interests, to some extent, uh, is the same, and it is fundamentally different from those of the vast majority of Haitians. And that is a pattern that you find throughout Haitian history up to this day.
0: The other fascinating historical narrative of the 18th century, and we're talking about international matters, is the dominican republic um i noticed that there were at one point um, haiti essentially occupied and had control of the entire island but that was lost so yeah th- this I mean, the is... whole
2: island was was under the control centralized control of boy uh, and then so the what dominican, happened the dominican republic get their independence so there is a another division between, if you wish, the eastern part, which is Haiti, and the western, no, the eastern part, which is Dominican which is Haiti, Republic, and the western part, which is the Dominican Republic.
0: Did did uh, did, did Spain interfere with in this? Did, did uh, foreign powers interfere and give uh, give arms? That was and... more
2: a struggle between the Haitians. And, you see, the, the history of Saint is very complicated. Uh, the Haitian part was for uh, was much more in the French sphere of influence, whereas the Western part tended to be uh, more Spanish-oriented. And to this day, you have a difference, obviously, of language. The Dominican Republic speaks Spanish, and the Dominican Republic sees Haiti as African. And there is a very strong racism against sees them as african oh, as wow. africans whereas wow. the dominican republic especially their their leaders they see themselves as descendant of spanish colonial people so that is another <laughs> oh. very critical and then that that was exacerbated in the 1930s and 40s when you had uh, Trujillo the dictator a dictator of the Dominican Republic, and there was a massacre of Haitians. Haitians had moved to the Dominican Republic to work on the plantations, uh, uh, sugar plantations oh in the Dominican Republic, and they were pushed again out of of the Dominican Republic in a very uh, nasty uh, massacre. So, so you've had conflicts between. Uh, the two uh, you know, neighbors. Uh, now the situation is a little bit better, but there is a pattern of uh, immigration that has created severe uh, issues between the two because uh, since the 1950s, uh, well, it's the 1960s, the economy of Haiti has deteriorated significantly and the economy of the Dominican Republic has improved to such an extent that Haitians who do not have um, many opportunities in Haiti have moved to the Dominican Republic in order to work, etc., etc. And the Dominican Republic does not particularly want more Haitians. They, they, I mean, there is a border problem. And in the, the last few months, you, you even have heard of uh, building a wall
0: Building a wall between Haiti and the Dominican Dominican Republic
2: Republic so that Haitians can't come in. Uh, Now the problem for that in that is that the Dominican Republic is dependent on cheap Haitian labor. So yeah, it's a very uh, that's complex. And and the Uh, huge tourist industry in the Dominican Republic now has also uh, a vested interest in having cheap Haitian labor. And we have had Haitians who have been born uh, in the Dominican Dominican Republic. Republic. Are they and recognized as citizens? Fully there? recognized by the Dominicans, and that has created more tensions. So it's a very complicated uh, story that would require another major conversation.
0: <laughs> another major uh, conversation. Um first of all, Tom, before we leave the 19th century, um, if you would briefly just give me some some idea of democratic institutions in Haiti. Did did they start to take shape? Was there a parliament? Was there a functioning judiciary? If not, were they at least paying lip service to them? Well, there was was that, that. yeah. There there
2: was an attempt to create uh, institutions. But the vast majority of the population was never included, really, in the moral or political community of the rulers. So that became, again, for the elites. elites. Yeah, that that tension has always been there. Actually, they, we in Haiti, the vast majority of the population, in particular, the peasantry, were called the moonandoye, in other words, uh, the people from without. So that gives you, ah, yeah, really, so that gives you an idea. And it was of,
0: other Haitians, elite yeah, Haitians, absolutely. that were saying this.
2: Absolutely, and you had the color question too, which was complicated. Uh, because uh, dark-skinned Haitians, uh, while you had a, a small class of, of, of people from that group, w- which had some wealth, the bulk of the wealth and uh, w- was concentrated in light-skinned Haitians. So the, the conflict of color is oh, very wow. real. And it ch- things change, they evolve. And the problem with color, obviously, is that... <laughs> it doesn't make much sense because yeah. the very same families can have very different shades of color and it creates issues. But you had that reality in the sense that it has given Haitian history and Asian politics that color division which has been manipulated by both sides. I mean the uh, light skin in particular in the, 19th century and part of the 20th century used to call themselves les plus capables, in other words, the most capable. <laughs> so in therefore, they, I mean, openly yeah. they call themselves that. Yeah. Okay. In other words, that they that they deserve to control the political system because now I, I,
0: I want to interrupt you if I may, please for for one clarifying point. Mm-hmm. And you touched on this in our first segment when we say light skin or let's say black. It wasn't so binary or multi-shaded as it is in the United States in the past. And the way I've read this, unless I'm wrong, in Haiti, there were so many different shades of cause because of intermarriages. It, am I in the yeah, Park with respect? Yeah, but the light
2: skin is a minority. My, really light a minority skin is a minority. The, okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, now, there are plenty of different shades from extremely dark to essentially people who look like, I don't know. A Swedish fellow, and and they have uh, you know mi- mixed background, uh, and in Haiti the color question is important, uh, and we have uh, adjectives to define color. It's mind boggling, but it's very much there. What do you mean, you know,
0: adjectives to define color? Like, for instance,
2: within darkness and within and within lightness, there are different categories themselves. Oh, wow. So, so you can be, you know, uh, uh, very dark. Then you can be still very dark, but not as dark as the very dark. And there's a clear. Haitians is this in know. popular
0: culture, or is this, this categorization? Is part,
2: this this is this is popular culture, but it is also very much part of what uh, those at the top uh, use to define. That has, to some extent, changed uh, after Duvalier and there is the other factor which uh, became a problem in particular in the 1940s 50s 60s and that is the so-called the arabs quote-unquote
0: you know i have heard this so much i don't know much about this uh, many people on social media very respectfully there was nothing uh, there were no expletives or anything aggressive they were saying that uh, Lebanese uh, and Syrians, I think. Yeah, I'm, I'm echoing what I've heard. Yeah. Really, have become and the elite. i Am yeah. I saying that and correctly? And they've
2: tended to dominate the commercial sector. Now, whether they are Lebanese or <laughs> you know Syrians, may, they may not be. No one really knows because they came from the Middle East. Uh, they may be palestinians when uh, did they do that 1940s it began at around that period but it really they became a a powerful commercial force uh in the 60s and increasingly so and now really have a significant influence in the economy of Haiti at the very top
0: wow i I would have never guessed that not having done this podcast uh, this is fascinating. And they used to
2: be, you know, the traditional, uh, and we call them such in Haiti, mulato elite, would have nothing to do with the so-called Syrian Lebanese till the 70s, because they thought that they, were, they lacked culture, that they were just commercial people, and that they needed to have some sort of French, as we say in Haiti, cachet, to, cachet, to be really okay. integrated into the Traditional mulatto group. And they were disliked by the black part of the political class, and for the same reason that they were not really Haitians. Uh, And in the current context, you do hear some people saying, you know, the fault is the the Syrian, Lebanese uh, commercial classes that have exploited the country, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a, a lot of scapegoating that takes a color. Uh, or ethnic uh, character.
0: Interesting. We'll be back after a short break to talk about Haiti in the 20th century in a little more detail.
1: We hope you are enjoying this podcast. And if you are, then why not treat us to a cup of coffee? That's right. For the price of a cup of coffee, you too can become a monthly supporter of the History Behind News podcast. We rely on your support to continue this program, to continue peeling the history behind our news. Supporting us is easy. Just click the support link in the detailed caption of this episode. And while you're there, check out the information about our guests and other attributions and links. And thank you!
0: Professor Faton, in the 20th century, the era of an an unabashed colonialism slowly ended. Um, It took some time, but it finally sort of formally ended anyway, and nationalism became the new order. So reflecting on our conversation in the last segment about the 19th century and, and, and early 20th century, I'm wondering if there were moments in Haiti's 20th century, when it could have started afresh it could have jettisoned its 19th century baggage and capitalized on its rich resources to become a thriving democracy were there any sort of inflection points that you say this could have if if this had gone the other way history may have changed
2: yeah well obviously haiti was an independent and, and in haiti we like to assert that fact yeah. in spite of all the contradictions, but we like to assert the fact that we're in the first black independent nation of in course. the world. and we say that with pride. Now the reality is that we've been independent, but we've had a very dependent uh, connection to the world economy. That has always been the case and it became so even more more even more so uh, in the 20th century. First, the American occupation, the Americans get into Haiti, in 1915, they occupy the country till 1934,
0: 1915. Did that have anything to do with World War One or
2: anything? No, it it was, uh, I mean, (laughs) it was to put it bluntly, uh, both a combination of sheer imperial uh, capacity, and racism, and uh, money. Uh, the Haitian government at you know, the early part of the 20th century was in debt and could not repay its debt, and that, to some extent, was connected to the indemnity which had the been France. paid. But in order to repay the indemnity, you had to incur more debt, oh, and boy. some of that debt was to German banks and to American banks. And there was great instability at that time, in particular, very early part of the 20th century. And the uh, US and Marines, uh, they went to the central bank of Haiti, literally went to the central bank, picked the gold reserves of Haiti, brought them to New York. That created severe (laughs) tension Severe tend to, I mean, to, to the private banks in New York. This is this is simply what happened. Uh, and Kelly <laughs> Wilson, who was a southerner, uh, was deeply racist about Haiti. So you have that combination. And then you clearly. I'm sorry. Could you, if
0: I may just get some clarification here. So mm-hmm. Haiti uh, owes more money because it has to borrow more money to service yeah. its original debt to France. Yeah. And Part it owes money.
2: Connected to that. Yes, indeed. yes
0: it is. Did 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 Haiti owe a lot of money to American uh, businessmen and uh, banks as well?
2: Is that why America got involved? Well, it, 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 I mean, in terms of the whole of the United States, that was not a major debt, but it was a debt. Uh, and uh, the when the U.S. and the Marines unpicked that money, uh, that created severe instability in Haiti. Uh, and eventually, the then president, a fellow by the name of uh, uh, Guillaume Sam, uh, was literally attacked and assassinated by a crowd of Haitians who were enraged in terms of his acceptance of po- potential deals with the United States. That assassination was the last assassination until you know, a a week ago. A week ago. So Uh, when was this assassination? And that assassination was the pretext used by the U.S. to take over Haiti. The Marines come and they take over the country.
0: They create instability and send our military more and more there. That is part of the story. Hey, you're unstable because we created that instability. Well, it's not just,
2: I mean, to be fair, Haitians have a responsibility also in the instability, the infighting between between different groups. But to some extent, that infighting uh, was also generated by the external connections of Haiti. And clearly the occupation... Uh, became uh, something that divided Haitians. Some Haitians actually went uh, to the hills and had the guerrilla warfare against the U.S., which lasted about three years or something like that. Wow. And then the U.S. controlled the country. Uh, whomever was in power could not have been in power without American you... OK. So you had president, you had the parliament, but that was really a facade. Whenever the parliament or the president would want to to do something that was not congruent with the American way of seeing things, that person would be either forced out of power or, to some extent, bribed. So this is is a very interesting story that people don't know. But uh, this is part of the occupation. Now, the occupation also created some... uh, infrastructure, roads and clinics and some schools. But the big legacy of the occupation was the centralization of power in power Prince and the creation of a centralized army, which became uh, really the force in Haitian society and in Haitian politics. You could not really operate without having uh, you know, the, the, the army in, in the back of your head, if you're a civilian authority, they, they would uh, come wow. to power, they would have coups. They were not necessarily violent, but they were coup d'etat, whereby the army moved against you and sent you into exile or something like that. So,
0: going back to my uh, original question, um, opening question for this segment. After 1935, uh, were there any inflection points Do you think at this point, this leader could have changed?
2: Yeah. I don't know, Aristide, yeah. whoever. Yeah. Well, yeah. we had the, uh, the, a leader by the name of Du Dumas Estimé, uh, who started to do certain things that could have contributed to the development of Haiti. What time in history uh, was this, uh, Professor? That's Foucault? what, late 40s. Late forties. The problem is that he was was overthrown. He wanted to prolong his stay in power, uh, which would not have been a bad thing, actually, given what we know now. But, you know, the elite didn't want that. And you had the question of color, too, because Dumas' Estime tended to favor some sort of what we call in Haiti noirist agenda, although it was not a vicious one at all. But it was perceived as black power by some of the mulattoes. They didn't like that. Oh, and wow. the, the army, to some extent, was also connected to uh, that particular class of people and dominated. You, 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 you could not run the country if you didn't have the okay of the military. Let's put it that way, simply.
0: Interesting. So this this was a period of uh, that that things could have changed, but for many reasons that you just delineated, it yeah. didn't. Um, and
2: the, the issue there too is is that uh, if you look, for instance, at the Dominican Republic and Haiti at that time, actually Haiti is a little bit more advanced from the economic perspective than the Dominican Republic, and that drastically changes uh, after uh, the coming to power of Duvalier, who destroyed the economy, in particular the father. He literally destroyed the economy. It was how so. Well, uh, because of corruption, because oh. also whatever educated classes you had in Haiti feared Duvalier, and many exited. Uh, sort of like
0: a brain drain. Sorry. So, sort of, kind of like a brain drain. Uh, yeah. out of the country. Absolutely.
2: Yeah. And what what is interesting is that the period of this is the period of decolonization, in particular in Africa, and many Haitians. From the educated elite, and this is the first wave, if you wish, of migration, of Haitian migration. They exit and they go to, uh, uh, you know, the Congo, to Guinea, to Senegal. So you have an intellectual elite of Haitians confronting the dictatorship of Duvalier saying, well, we'd better exit because there is no future here. So they exited. And there was a significant mismanagement of the economy that was also part of uh, the internal instability. Although Duvalier stayed, I mean the whole Duvalier dynasty stayed in, in power till 1986. Uh, in, during the period in particular of Francois Duvalier, Papa Doc, you had several attempted coups coming from the military, from guerrillas, uh, and that generated such instability that the country could not have the type of uh, uh, investment uh, that would have prompted, uh, if you wish, uh, some economic development. Everything decomposed with Francois Duvalier.
0: Professor Faton, the one thing that I haven't heard you say when we talked about late 19th century, throughout 20th century, is communism, with, with Cuba being relatively close by
2: Yes, absolutely. Did, did, did communism important. take
0: root in Haiti? Very
2: Well, you had the guerrillas against uh, Duvalier. Some of them were left wing. And this is where, again, you have a, an opportunistic convergence of interest between the United States and Haitian rulers. Uh, Kennedy, Johnson, uh, Nixon did particularly like uh, Francois Duvalier, but he was anti communist. So, therefore, he was protected. Oh. By the U.S. against any type of coup, because they didn't want another Cuba. They were terrified. I mean, uh, the United States was terrified that Haiti was the next Cuba, and that that would be another crisis. So oh, Duvalier, wow. you stay in power uh, as the uh, you know as the, the, the kind of crude way it, it's usually. put. Uh, Duvalier is a son of a bitch, but is our <laughs> son of a bitch. This is I what see. This, this was the American. Uh, understanding of Haiti at that time. So uh, while there was criticism of the Duvalier regime, it it was actually supported by the U.S. uh, at critical time when it looked like the government could fall.
0: This is fascinating. Let's take a break here. Stay with me and Professor Faton as we get into the Perspective. Professor Faton, in our news here in America, we keep on hearing the same line over and over again, uh, that Haiti is the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. Frankly, it's it's getting old, and it's a bit offensive, even to me, and I'm not even Haitian. I feel like calling CNN, Fox News, whatever, and telling them, hey, there's so much else to know about Haiti. Stop it with this lazy one-liner that you just repeat over and over. Uh, Professor Faton, in addition to being a scholar of Haiti, you were born and raised there, in Port-au-Prince, if if I'm correct. So let me ask you these two questions, please. What is the one thing about Haiti that us Americans don't understand, if you had one thing to teach us? And the second thing is, what is the one-liner that you want america's news agencies to use when they talk about haiti and a one-liner is important because they're too lazy they're not gonna like you know think and change and be creative no the one liner
2: well when you, you're you saying what you suggested obviously that when you read the news the first thing that you read is haiti is the poorest country it, they, they, they repeat it over and this over. this is true but this is obviously only <laughs> one part exactly of the history of haiti exactly uh, you you you, you you could, uh, for instance, say this is the first black independent nation. Thank you. You could talk about the revolution, the only successful slave revolution in the history of the world. Is Those a significant best? element. But I think that, uh, you see, when you call Haiti the poorest nation in the Western Hemisphere, it absolves the rest of the world from the type of complicity (laughs) that it has in the making of that poverty uh, from the very beginning. Now, Haitians have deep problems, Haitian problems, but it is extremely important to remember that many of those internal problems are exacerbated by continuous interferences in Haitian affairs, domestic affairs. And we've had that, you know, for a very, very long time, from the indemnity to the occupation, to what happened, you know, with Duvalier, to what happened uh, in the fall of Duvalier, in the post-Duvalier period, the Aristide presidency, the first and the second, uh, the interferences have been massive. Last weekend, we had a huge a manifestation of that phenomenon.
1: What happened last
2: weekend? You may remember, for instance, that when uh, uh, President Jovenel Moïse was assassinated, immediately Uh after the assassination, the UN representative, who is someone who's actually an American, said very publicly, before anyone in Haiti could even express himself or herself, Claude Joseph is the prime minister of Haiti, and he will be the prime minister till you have elections. Now that clearly is a massive interference. And then over the weekend, the international community, the so-called core group, essentially really the United States, French and Canada said, no, 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 no. Uh, Claude Claude Joseph should really step down and uh, another fellow, Ariel Henry, should be forming a government. And surprise, surprise, yesterday, who's (laughs) the new prime minister is Ariel Henry. Now, for Haitians, this is, what the heck is going on? So, so, So you have that kind of significant interference. How powerful that interference is, is probably debatable. But for most Haitians, it is pervasive. It is the thing that determines what happens in Haitian politics. And Haitians are simply asking, give us the space, the time to resolve our problems or to make our own mess. But from the Haitian perspective, no. The big powers are going to interfere in Haiti's uh, uh, internal affairs. And there is massive proof of that permanent type of interference in Haiti, some more uh intense and profound than others but it is a pattern that has marked the history of haiti since haiti got its independence
0: and here we are upset at russians for interfering in our elections (laughs) or the chinese (laughs) uh, hacking microsoft and and this is uh, what we've done for decades to haiti Uh, so um I'll put you on the spot again. Any 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 one-liner that you think uh, news agencies should should use? There's so many. I'm asking you that because I can't I come know up what, with one.
2: You know, you see, personally, and maybe that's a disease of academics. We don't like one-liners. I don't either,
1: <laughs> because <laughs> yeah. they
2: don't they don't they don't explain very complicated situations. I'd rather it, it have does. a conversation like we are having now than, for instance, I've been called by so many people. You know, even in shows, and you have barely four minutes to explain what the heck is going on. It's impossible. So you it simplify is, things really beyond belief, and not only that, but then it's edited. So you're not even in control of, of what you are saying. So and it's a very short thing. So they want they want you know in five minutes for they, they want uh, people to talk about Haiti from 1804. Two thousand twenty-one. Three and a half and minutes. Then they ask, and what about the Asian Revolution? And it's supposed to be every all of it is supposed to cover in that instant. It, it is it is a problem, but it's part of the media. The media really has that tendency to simplify everything, and not only that, but then they forget about it.
0: Exactly. and then short, they come back with the same old
2: stories. I hate, Haiti has not been in the news very much till last the last two weeks. The or
0: assassination so. of President and, Moise, yeah.
2: But if you had some sort of more uh, continued coverage, you would know that Jovenel Moise was not a popular guy. That he was running the country by decree. That there was no effective parliament. That there was no judiciary left. And therefore, that there were problems that were very deep in Haitian society. But the only thing you would hear is indeed the most the the most uh, exactly. So the conclusion here, I'm sorry, and it makes you know elections in the context in which Haitians live makes no sense. They will never be legitimate, and not only that, but they will lead to a, a, a very deep cynicism about democracy because you keep having elections that are not legitimate, that are fraudulent. And after each election in the past uh, 30 years or so, you can see a shrinking participation and interest in the elections. The last election, 15% supposedly of the electorate participated.
0: 15%? Oh, wow.
2: And the thing is that it was very badly done, but you had that pressure from the international community of the election. And again, the selection of who was going to be participating in those elections was not only something that Haitians uh, determined, but ultimately that the foreign community uh, decided. Uh, so oh, that's terrible. So, so, so you have that kind of history, and what I fear is that uh, in this moment. We are going to repeat the same mistakes, the same old strategies are going to be uh, back and expect a different results. That can happen. You're going to get the same outcome if you have the same type of interferences, the same type of policies. Uh, You know, Einstein says that the more you do the same thing, expecting a, a different result is madness. And this yeah. is what
0: yeah. it is. Yeah, hopefully it'll have positive results. Some innovative ideas. Some let's some. Let's hope so. Let's
2: hope so. This space. I mean, if I had one, one oh, line there you go. which I don't like is, let Haitians have their own space to decide their own affairs.
0: That's a wonderful one-liner. There is. I know you don't like one-liners, but there is this one line that really grabbed my attention, and it's the title of your forthcoming book. Uh, The Guise of Exceptionalism, Unmasking the National Narratives of Haiti and the United States. (laughs) The the, the title is curious, Guise of Exceptionalism. What is this book about?
2: Well, it's a comparison between uh, American exceptionalism and Haitian exceptionalism. And obviously, the United States exceptionalism is the idea that from the very beginning, it was a democratic society. From the, very, from the very beginning that it was not an imperial power. Uh, and clearly, that's not the case. I mean, with from the very to both beginning. respect
0: democracy and imperial power, or just with imperial power? From
2: both. From I both. mean, initially, the vast majority of Americans had nothing to say about the American republic. Women couldn't vote. Uh, if you didn't have property and you were a white male, you couldn't vote. And then you had slavery. Now, how in the heck can you conceive of a democracy
0: uh, <laughs> when, when most you of are, your population <laughs> is not involved
2: yeah i mean it, it is mind-boggling you know uh, so so there is a problem there from the very beginning the, the expansion of the united states you know th- that that kind of uh, uh, idea that the land was pl- plentiful and no one was there that's part of our uh, of american exceptionalism because clearly <laughs> There were people there, but they are no longer there, but the land land was taken. So you have that. And this is not particularly American. Exceptionalism exists in every country. Now, the, the issue with the United States, obviously, is that the United States has immense power. So when they export their exceptionalism, it has consequences for the rest of the world. Now, Haitians have their own exceptionalism. You know that this is the first, most radical revolution that we created, freedom, etc. Part of that is true, but as I have said, the significant part of that history is masked by the fact that the authoritarianism that existed uh, has contributed to what we have now. Uh, so, and the whole business uh, that Haiti could export its freedom, that, that, You know, that's in the mind of Haitians. The idea that 1804 is the critical moment in world history, that also is in the mind of of Haitians. But Haiti doesn't have the power to export those ideas. This is really a Haitian phenomenon. And the other thing is that with the decay of the economy and institutions in Haiti, you have a huge number of Haitians who've exited Haiti. And there is a large diaspora in the United States, in France, in Latin America, uh, in Canada. And they have an imaginary view of Haiti. Uh, when I say imaginary, is that like well, it's, very, it's part- very deeply etched in the mind of Haitians, that we are independent, that we are the nation. But the reality is that we are, in fact, a nation with deep, deep problems. And the very fact that so many of us are elsewhere, is clearly uh, uh, you know, a manifestation of the fact that the problems are so huge that we opted to exit. And it's a very difficult thing to accept because if you are, and you are from Iran, I think in our mind, at least at one point or another, we said, we have to go back, we have to go back. <laughs> and then, well,
0: well, I came here when I was very young, but, but yeah, I see I what know. you're saying. Yeah. yeah
2: but, but, and then you become essentially a, a different person. You're, yeah, yeah. you know, Haitian American. And you don't know which part is <laughs> the most important. That's and when when the, can we expect your book, sir? Oh, it's out, actually. Oh, I
0: see. I see. Yeah, um, yeah, I thought yeah. it was come, coming out later. It, so you know, it,
2: came, it came out, when was it in May or something like it. It, it, it's It's kind of fresh out of the.
0: Wonderful. I will include a link to it in the caption to our podcast yeah. episode. Uh, Professor Fatom, before we close, I wanted to share something with you. It's my turn mm-hmm. to share something. Uh, a week ago, I posted a video on social media asking people if they want us to do an episode on the history of Haiti. And I got to tell you, thousands of Haitians responded, maybe from Haiti, maybe from outside, as you just, diaspora, as you just indicated. So I I was overwhelmed by how passionate they are about their country and its history. So I just wanted to thank him for educating me and everyone else on social media. Uh, And Professor Faton, thank you so much for educating me and our listeners. You're welcome back to the Peel.News anytime. And to our listeners, if you know of any history that could provide more perspective from the past on this subject. Please share it with us and tell us, what's your perspective? The opinions and statements of our guests are their own. We neither agree nor disagree with them. We're only interested in the perspective they provide through history. At History Behind News, we're honored that our guests share their expertise with us, most of which are based on years of scholarship and research and we provide links to their projects and publications for your benefit, to review them if you wish. Otherwise, we're not affiliated with our guests. We just think they teach us pretty cool history, the history behind our news. Also, unless we explicitly inform you, we're not affiliated with any institutions, including Amazon, for which book links are shared here from time to time for your convenience. It means we've succeeded in getting you to think about the history behind news. And of course, share your thoughts with me by leaving your comments on Twitter or sending an email to Adele at historybehindnews.com. I love to hear from you. I love to learn from you. Until next time, this is Adele with History Behind News, a history podcast for our news.